One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon and Time, is back for another round. We had a big bear of a man, who was called Mal Evans, who was on roadie, and uh, <clears throat> I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. <laughs> I said, what? Sergeant Pepper? Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Alec Baldwin. This past season on my podcast, Here's the Thing, I spoke with more actors, musicians, policymakers, and so many other fascinating people, like jazz bassist Christian McBride. Jazz is based on improvisation, but there's very much a form to it. Most pop songs have a very strict structure, verse, verse, chorus, whereas jazz, you get a melody with a set of chord changes. You play that melody with those chord changes. Now, once you do that, you have a conversation based on that melody and those chord changes. So it's kind of like giving someone a topic and say, okay, talk about this. And comedian and actor Caroline Ray. You're most comfortable when you're on stage. Probably. You really love it. Yeah, I feel like I always think my stand-up is a dinner party. I know what I'm going to make. You're my guests. I don't know what's going to happen. But the thing about stand-up that amazes me is it's only going to happen in that moment in time. Even if we film it, it's never going to be what it feels like live. Listen to the new season of Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Information Network and six-time Emmy-nominated news anchor Vanessa Tyler welcome you to Blackland. A podcast about the ground on which the black community stands right now. From stories about salvation and loss. I loved a person who had an HIV diagnosis. To dreams achieved. Or yet unfulfilled. From people who have made it. I sat down with a therapist and I began my journey. To those left behind. Listen to Blackland on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From The Recount, I'm Rena Ninen, and you're listening to The Recount Daily Pod. Today is Thursday, September 30th. Ultimately, you're going 17,500 miles an hour, and at that speed, you need to burn so much propellant, it's like you're sitting on top of a bomb. That was Christian Davenport, staff writer at The Washington Post, talking about the U.S. first all-civilian spaceflight. Christian joined me to talk about the future of civilian space travel. We'll dig into that a little later on. But first, your morning headlines. We began in California, where Britney Spears' fight for freedom from her father's control came to a happy end, at least for her. Britney has been trying for months to remove her father as a conservator, a role he's had for 13 years. On Wednesday, the judge granted her petition and suspended Jamie Spears as conservator, and a temporary one was appointed. Britney's conservatorship remains in effect while the court considers Britney's request to end it completely. Next to Washington, D.C., where the clock is ticking for the Senate to pass a measure to avoid a partial government shutdown. Funding of the government is set to run out on Friday at 12.01 a.m. The Republicans have agreed to a vote on a measure to extend funding only if it's a standalone bill and does not raise or suspend the debt ceiling. If the Democrats agree, a vote could happen as early as late afternoon or evening. The measure would only keep the government funded through December 3rd. Democrats are also hoping to pass their $1 trillion infrastructure plan today. 
On top of all that is President Biden's $3.5 trillion economic plan. Worry over the bill not passing the Senate caused Biden to cancel his planned trip to Chicago yesterday. The two Democratic senators still holding up the bill are Senators Kirsten Sinema of Arizona and Joe Manchin of West Virginia. Both are resistant to the idea of increasing taxes on higher earners and corporations to pay for it all. We end with COVID. In a nod to supporting vaccinations, social media platform YouTube announced that it will be removing any video that contains misinformation on the vaccines. The ban will also apply to other vaccines like measles, mumps, and rubella, as well as to falsehoods about vaccines in general. Since last year, over 130,000 videos were removed for violating YouTube's COVID-19 vaccine policies. In India, there's finally good news on COVID. Indian health officials have said that Wednesday's count of new coronavirus cases is the lowest number they've recorded in about six months. Its daily death toll has also sharply declined with only 378. Back in May, the country was seeing an average of over 4,000 deaths a day. And now to our daily deep dive. On September 15th, the first all-civilian space flight took place from Cape Canaveral, Florida. The flight was launched by Elon Musk's SpaceX, and it was called Inspiration4. The flight could be a game-changer for the future of space travel. So will space travel ever become a normal thing for regular folks? I'm joined by Christian Davenport, staff writer at The Washington Post, to dig into it further. Hey, Christian, thanks for joining us. Sure, thanks for having me. You bet. So on September 15th, we saw the launch of Inspiration4. It was a three-day journey for SpaceX. First all-civilian crew. Walk me through that. Why was this so significant? Well, uh, there have been civilians, I mean, i.e. non-government trained astronauts, not professional astronauts who have gone to space before. In the, the 2000s, there were a number of people, wealthy individuals, uh, who paid to fly to the International Space Station. I think they paid about $20 million or so each, and they spent a week on the International Space Station. But they always flew with professional astronauts alongside them. Uh, And if you go back in history too, this was sort of NASA's goal from the beginning to fly civilians more frequently. That's what they were hoping to do on the space shuttle. And they first chose a teacher and then a journalist was gonna go. The teacher was Krista McAuliffe. And uh, that program came to a tragic ending when uh, the space shuttle Challenger blew up in 1986. Um, So now we've gone sort of into this new generation of spaceflight and companies like SpaceX are trying to make space more accessible to people. And they flew a crew made up entirely of private citizens. There was not a single professionally trained astronaut on board that spacecraft. None of them had been to space before. They were all strangers as of a few months before the space flight. And yeah, they were trained on some emergency procedures here and there. They were familiar with the spacecraft, but they didn't fly it. This was an autonomous spacecraft that was flying them on this mission. And uh, SpaceX hopes to be doing a lot more of these. So you say these were all civilians, but they weren't just average civilians. Tell me a little bit about how they got picked and who they were. Right. So this was funded by a a billionaire entrepreneur named Jared Isaacman, who, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, He could have presumably, you know, picked three of his friends, three of his (laughs) buddies, three members we flies jets with, because he does 
is an experienced pilot flying jets and even fighter jets. But instead, he turned this into a, a fundraiser for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Mm-hmm. And the first person he picked for this was Haley Arsenault, who's a physician assistant at the hospital, a childhood cancer survivor of her own. She had bone cancer and actually, as a result of that, has a prosthetic in her leg and then became the first person with a prosthetic to go to space. And then he did something interesting where for the fundraiser, he made that into a sweepstakes. And people who donated, you entered the fundraiser and you could be picked for a trip to go to space. And uh, actually, the winner of that seat was Chris Sombrowski, who did donate as part of the fundraiser, but actually didn't win. It was a friend of his who won, knew that uh, Chris was a huge space fan, and his friend actually gave him the ticket. And then the third seat went to Dr. Uh, Cyan Proctor, who's a community college professor and an artist and a poet. And she participated in the sort of entrepreneurial contest where she used uh, Jared Isaacsman's business platform uh, to sort of create a business for herself. And she made a video and was chosen for that reason. But, you know, again, all rookies. And then a few months later, they're in space and they're in orbit. So did they break any records? Was there anything big that they did during the space flight? Yeah, I mean, they they went really high. I mean, they went higher than the International Space Station. They went higher to the Hubble telescope and higher than most space shuttle missions had gone. And so there was some r- real risk involved. It was higher than the Dragon spacecraft. The, that's the, the spacecraft that SpaceX flies. It had never been that high before. So the engineers had to take a hard look um, at this and whether it would be okay to fly at that altitude. And of course, the higher you go, the better view of Earth you're, you're going to have. And because they were just in orbit, they didn't dock with the International Space Station. And so what SpaceX did was they took the, the docking adapter and they put a, a clear dome in there so that they could have these amazing views of Earth uh, from inside the spacecraft. Mm. You talked a little bit about risk of this space flight. And you also mentioned earlier about the Challenger. Walk me back. When that Challenger explosion happened, I remember it so vividly. I was eight in elementary school. How did that set back? the space program. It was an enormous blow. And I remember it too. I was actually homesick that day, <laughs> watching the news over and over and over <laughs> again. But it was a reminder that space flight is so hard. It's so risky. You know, humans are just not made to live in space. And to get to space, it requires an enormous amount of energy. I mean, you need to be going to get out of Earth's gravity to be in orbit. Ultimately, you're going 17,500 miles an hour. And at that speed, you need to burn so much propellant. It's like you're sitting on top of a bomb. Mm. And if one thing goes wrong, it could be have disastrous consequences. You mentioned the idea that about humans could one day habitate uh, other planets. Do you find that this space flight might have bolstered hopes of that? Do you really see that happening? Yes. I mean, it shows another step forward in the technology and the way in which we're moving forward, you know, in the commercialization of space and companies like SpaceX standing on the shoulders of NASA and doing things in a way that, you know, NASA couldn't. NASA had wanted to fly civilians and, you know, that they ended that program. 
And now here's SpaceX sort of picking up the baton and going forward. And you see NASA too, that the dynamics changed and that NASA is looking at companies like SpaceX and Blue Origin and others and saying, they've got some chops in space. We need to harness that capability and, and partner with them. Just like you know we do on the International Space Station, we do that with other countries. Now they're looking at other companies and saying, if we're gonna go to the moon and if we're gonna go to Mars, we need to all do it together. You know, there's a lot of pushback on social media about these space flights that have happened over the past few months, saying there are bigger issues in the world to focus on, COVID, hunger, climate change. I'm curious, the Richard Branson's, Jeff Bezos, how are they responding to the optics of people saying, this is a little extravagant? Do we really need this? I think they would say that, yes, we need um, to solve the problems here on Earth. But if you think about space for a minute, um, there have only been about 570 people who have ever been to space, who have ever seen Earth from a distance, the curvature of the Earth, land masses without borders, the thin line of the atmosphere. Um, and if you think about the picture that was taken during the Apollo program of the Earth from the moon. I mean, it's the most reproduced mm -hmm. image in like the history of photography and led directly to Earth Day. And that's the sort of symbol of, of Earth Day and realizing when you leave the Earth <laughs> that ultimately that's what we need to protect. And yeah, this is not opening up space to the masses, even though that's what they talk about. Uh, it's not the democratization of space, at least not yet. It's enormously expensive to go. Virgin Galactic you know, would charge 450000 uh, dollars for these suborbital trips. SpaceX, uh, you know, some of these tourists, if you go to the International Space Station for a week or so, the price tag is $55 million. It's still very expensive, but the hope is that the very wealthy uh, are the ones that do it at first and their wealth subsidizes these programs and the technology so that they become, they can test it out, they become more efficient, the price comes down, more people can go. We've got to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with Christian Davenport, reporter for The Washington Post. He covers NASA and the space industry. You're listening to The Recount Daily Pod. The Black Information Network and six-time Emmy-nominated news anchor Vanessa Tyler welcome you to Blackland. A podcast about the ground on which the Black community stands right now. From stories about salvation. And loss. They did not love themselves enough to know their HIV status, to not pass it on to me. To dreams achieved. Or still yet unfulfilled. From people who have made it. We started a hospital-based violence intervention program called the IV Project, and it stands for interrupting violence in youth and young adults. To those who have been left behind. But no one talks about the survivors of the gun violence, and the number is rising because the gun violence has risen. Politically. Financially. Emotionally. Spiritually. This is where we are. This is Blackland. And one of the things that my father said to me before he passed away is like a, almost like a prophecy. He said that I would be helping men. Listen to Blackland on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. In the final months of World War II, the Nazis began using a rocket-powered bomb. It travelled faster than the speed of sound, which meant you couldn't hear it coming. And it was a cruel, spiteful weapon. Technologically, it was a miracle. 
but economically and militarily, the V-2 rocket was a total disaster. How did it come into existence? Why were so many of the people it hurt, not the people you might expect? And what lessons can we glean from this catastrophic mega-project even today? Join me, Tim Harford, host of the Cautionary Tales podcast for my gripping mini-series on the Nazi V-2 rocket, available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Recount Daily Pod, a podcast from The Recount and iHeartRadio. I'm here with Christian Davenport, staff writer at The Washington Post. We're talking about the privatization of space travel. What do you think the downside is to privatizing space? Space is big and it's vast, but it's also congested in a way. There's a lot of debris that's floating around out there that you know can have catastrophic consequences. You know, if you've ever seen the movie Gravity, for example, where the International Space Station literally has to sometimes maneuver to dodge space debris out there. And there's no real rules to the road governing space traffic management. You put a satellite up, but there's no rule that says, oh, that satellite may collide with another satellite. You have to move it. There's no rules that say you have to have propellant on that satellite so that it can move. Some of them can't maneuver. Uh, If you do get to the surface of the moon, what are these sort of international norms of behavior in terms of, say, you make a scientific discovery? Do you share that with the world? Do you talk to the world about what you're doing on the moon? Do you have the rights to things you mine on the moon? And NASA is trying to work on that right now, for example, with the Artemis. Mm. Uh, They're called the Artemis Accords, which are these treaties with other nations that say you have to share your scientific data. You have to tell people what you're doing and where you're operating and be transparent. But not everybody's signing up to that. So clearly there are some problems, even within countries. But now imagine when you've got more companies doing this. How do you think privatization impacts national security concerns? There are a couple of things. One, the Pentagon is looking at some of these companies and saying, we want to work with you Mm. um, because, you know, you can put up a satellite quickly. And you think about satellites, you know, traditionally, they're massive. They're the size of a school bus. (laughs) But like the revolution in personal computing your computer the size of an iPhone in your pocket, satellites can be really small and they can be the size of a loaf of bread. And there's new rocket technology, smaller rockets that can be responsive and launch quickly. The company called Virgin Orbit, which is a Richard Branson company, has a small rocket that they tether to the side of a wing of a 747 airplane and then it's air launched. And so say the Pentagon or the CIA says, hey, we need a satellite up to look say over North Korea get that plane on the runway, get that rocket off, and you can go. Mm -hmm. So the Pentagon's paying very close attention to all of this as well. But again, you know, there's some real questions about where the rules of the road are. You mentioned NASA, funding SpaceX, Blue Origin, Virgin Galactic, $23 billion for 2021. Why should we be prioritizing funding for space travel right now? And there's so many other issues. What the NASA budget is compared to, say, the Pentagon, it's, it's tiny. You know, we are focused sort of on the the human exploration, right? And the billionaires and the human exploration, you know, sucks up a lot of the oxygen in in the room. But, you know, I think NASA would say if you are able to build a permanent presence on the surface of the moon, there could be some significant scientific discoveries. I mean, we now know 
that there is water in the form of ice at the poles of the moon, which we didn't know during the Apollo era. And that's significant, not just because water can sustain uh, human life to drink or for air to breathe, but hydrogen and oxygen also can be used as uh, rocket fuel. Mm. And so the moon, for example, then becomes a gas station in space that lets you go deeper into space, deeper into the universe. Mm. So there are a lot of scientific discoveries that you're trying to go on about space that will ultimately, NASA hopes, fuel our understanding of the Earth and how it was formed. So with these big discoveries and, and this hope and optimism, any indication how space will be regulated if in the future it becomes open for tourism? Are we all going to need passports? NASA is you know, trying to work on that right now. And you've had this international collaboration. Uh, and one of the interesting things that's going on, for example, is the International Space Station, right? We've got all these nations coming together and we partner with Russia and things, you know, on the ground between the United States and Russia is not great, but they are our key partner on the International Space Station. But the space station is getting old. It's been up there for 20 years and NASA starting to think what's going to come next. And Russia and China are now in discussions about building a space station of their own. And NASA is trying to figure out, well, maybe we work with the the commercial sector to build a commercial space station. And we're here talking about all of the space tourism flights from, from the United States, but there's a Japanese billionaire that's gonna go up on a Russian spacecraft to the International Space Station. There's a Russian film crew hmm. that's gonna go up to the International Space Station. So there's all of this going on and there's gonna be a lot more traffic. And yet there aren't any rules to the road. It's still very much the Wild West. And so a lot of people think this ultimately has to be handled by some international body like the United Nations. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to be back with Christian Davenport, reporter for The Washington Post. He covers NASA and the space industry. You're listening to The Recount Daily Pod. The Black Information Network and six-time Emmy-nominated news anchor Vanessa Tyler welcome you to Blackland. A podcast about the ground on which the Black community stands right now. From stories about salvation. And loss. They did not love themselves enough to know their HIV status, to not pass it on to me. To dreams achieved. Or still yet unfulfilled. From people who have made it. We started a hospital-based violence intervention program called the IV Project, and it stands for Interrupting Violence in Youth and Young Adults. To those who have been left behind. But no one talks about the survivors of the gun violence, and the numbers rising because the gun violence has risen. Politically. Financially. Emotionally. Spiritually. This is where we are. This is Blackland. And one of the things that my father said to me before he passed away, it's like a, almost like a prophecy. He said that I would be helping men. Listen to Blackland on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Attention all you 20-somethings out there. Are you tired of pretending like you have it all figured out? Well, guess what? You're not alone. Get ready to embrace the chaos with the premiere of the fourth season of Crying in Public. Join me, your host, Sydney Winter, as I take the mic solo for the very first time. I'm here to share the good, the bad, and the downright awkward of navigating this crazy thing we call girlhood. Consider this your go-to guide for surviving your 20s with style and grace. Well, for the most part. From dissecting mysteries of modern dating to surviving and thriving in a daily grind of adulting, crying in public covers it all. 
and then some. So grab your headphones because you're about to get real, raw, and a little ridiculous. And let's face it, life's too short to pretend like we've got it all together. It's time to embrace the chaos. So don't miss out on the laughs, the tears, and the inevitable existential crisis. Listen to the new season of Crying in Public on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the final months of World War II, the Nazis began using a rocket-powered bomb. It travelled faster than the speed of sound, which meant you couldn't hear it coming. And it was a cruel, spiteful weapon. Technologically, it was a miracle. But economically and militarily, the V-2 rocket was a total disaster. How did it come into existence? Why were so many of the people it hurt, not the people you might expect? And what lessons can we glean from this catastrophic mega-project even today? Join me, Tim Harford, host of the Cautionary Tales podcast for my gripping mini-series on the Nazi V-2 rocket, available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Recount Daily Pod, a podcast from the Recount and iHeartRadio. I'm joined by Christian Davenport, staff writer at the Washington Post. We're talking about privatizing space travel. So fast forward 50 years from now, where do you think space travel will be? Will the non-Bezos billionaires of the world be jetting off to space? Let's, you know, for a minute, take the optimistic view. And we can talk about, you know, camps on the moon and people on Mars. Maybe in 50 years, you could see humans getting to Mars. It's just that difficult. But the space tourism thing, I think it's really interesting. And, and if they're able to do it successfully and you have not just one, but a series of commercial habitats like space stations that are made by private companies. And there are companies that are working on that right now. And you have a commercial service that wants to pay people to go to space. I mean, I think that could be transformative. If you talk to astronauts who've been to space, they talk about the overview effect, which is sort of a clunky term, I think, for what it means to view the Earth going to space. And they'll tell you the pictures don't do it justice, that when you see the Earth from space, it really has a profound effect on you. And instead of it being 570 people have been to space, but it's 5,000, 10,000 in 50 years, say it's 50,000 people have been to space or more. And it's, you know, somewhat of a regular thing. I think that could have a profound societal effect here on Earth, but they've got to show that they can do it successfully. What happens if there's an accident? What happens if people get killed, as has happened before and could very well happen in the future, will the public have a tolerance for that? Will Congress, will it want to step in? Um, we don't know the answers to all of that yet. Elon Musk, the founder of SpaceX, hasn't flown into space yet. He's a billionaire. He owns a space travel company. Why do you think he hasn't done so? So obviously, Richard Branson went and then Jeff Bezos went, you know, on the very first flight of his space company, Blue Origin's first flight. They're in the process right now of trying to sell tickets for a space tourism enterprise. Um, Elon doesn't really need to do that. He's got multi-billion dollar contracts with NASA, with the Pentagon, with commercial companies. You know, he can sell uh, on the side a space tourism flight here and there if he needs to. But, you know, I think Richard and Jeff did it in part because they wanted to demonstrate that their rockets are safe, but also for the marketing and the PR value to sort of mm. generate, you know, enthusiasm and interest and let's face it, ticket sales. Mm -hmm. um, 
Elon doesn't really need to do that. I do think he'll fly at some point, but it's sort of he's in a different league, frankly. Christian, you cover NASA and the space industry extensively for the Washington Post. Would you go to space? Yes. Really? Without hesitation? Absolutely. 100%. I would go tomorrow. I think it would be amazing. And I think it's important uh, for the public to see that. I mean, that NASA was going to send a journalist to space. Uh, I actually have the application that NASA had in the mid 80s for the journalist in space program. Uh, I've gone through the archives. Uh, Walter Cronkite was a finalist. I have his essay. And I I do think it's important for people like you and me to go. Um, I think, you know, Astronauts get a bad rap because people say, oh, they're not very articulate and they can't really translate what the experience is like. I've talked to plenty of astronauts who have done a great job. I thought about communicating the experience, but I think that's what you know people like you and I do. And I, I, we should continue to do that. And I think a journalist should go and be able to talk about independently what it's really um, like. So, yes, I would go in a minute. NASA, are you listening? It's Christian Davenport from The Washington Post. Send him up. Christian, I want to thank you so much for your time and for breaking all this down for us. Sure, my pleasure. And now to the look ahead. Here's what else we're watching today. Facebook Global Head of Safety is testifying at a Senate Commerce Subcommittee hearing this morning on protecting children's mental health online. The hearing comes on the heels of a bombshell Wall Street Journal article that said Facebook has repeatedly ignored internal research showing Instagram's negative impact on teenage girls. In response to heated criticism generated by the report, social media giant recently announced it will pause development on its Instagram Kid product, which was aimed at 10 to 12-year-olds. Today marks the first National Day of Truth and Reconciliation in Canada. The date was created to honor the lost children and survivors of residential schools, their families and communities. Back in May, 215 bodies were discovered at the site of one former school. The schools were government-controlled religious institutions designed to assimilate Indigenous children into Euro-Canadian culture. To learn more about the Indigenous culture, you can visit Canada.ca. On this date, 59 years ago, James Meredith, a black 29-year-old, was attempting to enroll at the University of Mississippi. He was accompanied by federal and U.S. state law enforcement. The campus was a hotbed of racial tension after the U.S. Supreme Court decision eight years earlier in Brown versus Board of Education. A riot broke out when an angry mob of white people confronted law officials. The confrontation resulted in the murder of two and the wounding of 206 marshals and soldiers. 200 individuals were arrested. Meredith was finally allowed to register for courses on October 1st, 1962. We leave you with James Meredith, speaking about the incident a couple of years later. What I do uh, resent is my being a second uh, class citizen uh, inferior, and I don't mean by biological means. I mean in fact. Have a great weekend, everyone. I'll see you back Monday morning. This is the Recount Daily Pod, a podcast from The Recount and iHeartRadio. Our thanks to Christian Davenport, staff writer at The Washington Post, for being on the show. And if you like this episode, I hope you'll subscribe to The Recount Daily Pod and do leave us a rating on the Apple Podcast app. I'm your host, Rena Ninen, Alexis Ramdow, and Corey Wara engineered and produced this podcast. Ariella Martin also produced. Fonda Mwangi did the research. Pierre Benamé is our senior producer, and our executive producer is Laura Beatty. 
one of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon and Time, is back for another round. We had a big bear of a man, who's called Mal Evans, who's on roadie, and uh, I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. <laughs> I said, what? Sergeant Pepper? Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Alec Baldwin. This past season on my podcast, Here's the Thing, I spoke with more actors, musicians, policymakers, and so many other fascinating people, like jazz bassist Christian McBride. Jazz is based on improvisation, but there's very much a form to it. Most pop songs have a very strict structure, verse, verse, chorus, whereas jazz, you get a melody with a set of chord changes. You play that melody with those chord changes. Now, once you do that, you have a conversation based on that melody and those chord changes. So it's kind of like giving someone a topic and say, okay, talk about this. And comedian and actor Caroline Ray. You're most comfortable when you're on stage. Probably. You really love it. Yeah, I feel like... I always think my stand-up is a dinner party. I know what I'm going to make. You're my guests. I don't know what's going to happen. But the thing about stand-up that amazes me is it's only going to happen in that moment in time. Even if we film it, it's never going to be what it feels like live. Listen to the new season of Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Information Network and six-time Emmy-nominated news anchor Vanessa Tyler welcome you to Blackland. A podcast about the ground on which the black community stands right now. From stories about salvation and loss. I loved a person who had an HIV diagnosis. To dreams achieved. Or yet unfulfilled. From people who have made it. I sat down with a therapist and I began my journey. To those left behind. Listen to Blackland on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.